0: Imagine a group of people coming to your home, interrupting your twinkie-eating, TV-watching routine with an urgent message. Good news! We're from the United States Olympic Committee. We've been looking for someone to run the marathon in the next Olympics. We've got statistics on every person in the entire nation. We've checked everybody's records, their performance in the presidential physical fitness test in grade school, their body type, their bone structure, right down to their current percentage of body fat. And we have determined out of 200 million people that you are the one person in America who has a chance to bring home the gold medal in the marathon. So you're on the squad. You will run the race. This is a chance of a lifetime. Now, you're surprised by this because the farthest you've ever run is from the couch to the refrigerator. But after the, the initial shock passes, you're gripped by the realization of what's happening in your life. You picture yourself mingling with the elite athletes of the world. You allow yourself to imagine that maybe you do have what it takes. At night, you dream about standing on the podium and, and after the race, you hear the national anthem and the flag is raised and you bend down to receive that gold medal. You begin to feel a sense of urgency. It will be your body wearing those little racing togs in front of a billion people watching on television. But greater than any external pressure is the internal drive that says, this is the race I was created to run. This is my destiny. This is why I was born. This is my chance. This race becomes the great passion of your life. It it dominates your mind. It occupies every waking moment. To run the race well, to win if you can, becomes the central focus of your existence. It gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you live for. It's the chance of a lifetime. And then it dawns on you. Right now, you can't run a marathon more to the point, you can't run a marathon even if you try really, really hard. Trying hard can only accomplish so much. If you're serious about seizing the chance of a lifetime, you're going to have to enter a life of training. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot now do on your own willpower. When it comes to running a marathon, you must train, not merely Try, and this need for training—it's not confined only to athletics. Training is required for people who want to learn how to play a musical instrument, or, or learn a new language, or run a business. Indeed, it's required for any significant challenge in life, including spiritual growth. This imaginary scenario comes from John Ortberg. His book, "The Life You've Always Wanted," it's a great book, and it really gets to the heart. ...of what our focus is today. I want us to focus on the difference between training and trying. Training to do something and trying to do something. And we're going to explore this idea of trying versus training, especially as it relates to our spiritual lives... We've been in a series we call A Healthy Church, and we've been in the series since the beginning of the year, which seems like maybe a long time to study the book of Titus. I mean, it only has three chapters after all, but uh, it's been a fruitful study for us, for our church. And this morning, as we continue this series, we're going to look at a passage that we've already looked at in this series. And in fact, we've already looked at it twice before. But uh, there's great value in examining this passage one more time today, just like a a training regiment has repeated elements for getting stronger or for running a marathon. We've got one more thing that we can learn from this passage this morning. And if you were here last week, you remember we looked at the beginning of Titus chapter 2, and we talked about doing good for the sake of of the gospel. We talked about how everybody has a responsibility and everybody has an opportunity to invest in people from different generations. Hopefully you've been able to take the time to to make a relationship with somebody from another generation. Keep focused on that. But the qualities that are listed in this passage, they're not easy to live out. They're not the kind of things that you can just stumble into. And in fact, they're not the kind of qualities that you can achieve just by trying. Even if you try really, really hard. These are qualities that take some training. And there's one quality in particular that shows up for each of the groups mentioned in this passage. For older men, for older women, for younger women, and for younger men. And so uh, one quality that really we should all be investing in, we should all be growing in. So I want us to look at the passage and see if you can find the the repeated quality that all these groups share. Titus chapter 2 starting in verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. So, do you notice what's repeated here? Self control. It's mentioned three different times, and it's really implied for the older women who should avoid addiction and should teach the younger women self-control. I mean, you can't teach what you don't know, right? Well, self-control is in very many ways a a keystone habit for so many of these other qualities. If you could master self-control, you are well on the road to achieving the other kind of qualities that are listed. But just like running a marathon, self-control is not something you get if you just try really, really hard. Self-control takes training. And and training, that's what I want us to focus on today. And before we get to the training, though, we really need to understand what are we talking about here? I mean, what really is self-control? If that's our goal, we didn't know what it means. I mean, we know when we don't have it, when we eat an extra brownie, when we shouldn't, that kind of a thing. But but what is the Bible really talking about when we talk about self-control? The best way I can think to describe it is by looking at a particular story from the Gospel of John. If you look at the Gospel of John, there's this moment early on when John the Baptist is doing a lot of great things. He's teaching, he's gaining a lot of notoriety for himself, he's drawing large crowds. And then Jesus shows up, and he's doing even better things, and he's drawing even larger crowds. And some of John's followers say to John, Hey, I. Aren't you upset that Jesus is over here getting more attention than you? And John has a great answer for them. He says, I belong to Jesus. And then he says this. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. And that to me is a good definition of self-control. It's not just getting better at something. It's not just mastering your own willpower. It's not just trying harder. It's getting yourself out of the way so that Jesus can show up more in your life. He becomes greater and you become less. So that ultimately you become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's why self-control is necessary for each and every one of us. So how do we do that? What kind of training regimen do you need for getting rid of yourself and getting more of Jesus in your life? That's some pretty hefty discipline it calls for. But, but even more, we've got to realize... We can't do it on our own. I mean, if the goal is to get less of ourselves, less of our own sinful nature, to get more of Jesus, we can't do that on our own. We need God's help. And this passage in Titus tells us just that. Look a little further down at Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So the grace of God teaches us to be self-controlled. It's not something we can do on our own, not just trying hard. It comes from God. It's a gift of grace from him. And when we think about self-control, we realize that what we need is not just discipline, but something that allows God's grace to work more and more in our lives. And that's where spiritual disciplines come into play. Unlike a a regular discipline that involves you making concentrated effort to do something, in other words, just you trying harder, a spiritual discipline is different because a spiritual discipline is a practice that helps you grow in your own spiritual maturity. It helps you become more and more like Jesus and less and less of your old self. Spiritual disciplines help us apply the grace that God wants to give us. They help us achieve self-control, which is what we ultimately all need. And throughout the history of the church, from the earliest time until now, there have been certain practices, certain spiritual disciplines that people have used uh, for centuries to become more and more like Jesus. And I want us to explore some of those disciplines so that we can begin to familiarize ourselves with them and put them into practice. And these disciplines can really be categorized into three categories. Inward disciplines, in other words, those that, uh, that you do privately that relate to your own inner spiritual life. Outward disciplines, those that are focused on our behavior. And then corporate disciplines, those that we do together as a, as a body of Christ. So let's talk through these categories. In terms of, of inward disciplines, there, there's four I want us to look at. The, uh, the four are prayer, Bible study, meditation, and fasting. And prayer... Hopefully pretty self-explanatory, you know. But if you've ever been trying to pray and gotten distracted, then you know it takes a certain amount of discipline. You know you need some external help. And, and one thing that really helps is to have some kind of a system for, for praying, you know. It helps you achieve some of this self-control in your, in your life. And if you don't have a system, if you're in need of a system, the best thing I can do is to recommend a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's an excellent book. Uh, a lot of our growth group leaders read through it a couple of years back and, and he outlines a very simple system. Uh, I've mentioned before about an app that I use called Prayer Mate and it's just a great way to get your prayer list on your phone or tablet or whatever. It's always with you and uh, prayer is one of these inward disciplines. Another really simple system, you don't even have to think that much about it, is the idea of uh, concentric circles. So you start... Uh, with yourself, it's the only time you're allowed to put yourself in the middle, right there, and then you pray for yourself, and and then maybe your immediate family, and and then extended people, and then your your network of friends or neighbors and coworkers, that kind of thing, and and outward from there, your community and country and the whole world. So you just. Work your way out. That's an easy thing to remember. So so prayer is an inward discipline, and, and Bible study is, is another one. And there's lots of different ways to do Bible study, but the key is simply this. You've got to come to the Bible with open hands. You want to let the Bible speak to you, not try to make it say things that it's really not saying. So, so check your assumptions as you open up your Bible. That's a key part of letting Bible study really be fruitful for you. Uh, I love a quote from Adele Calhoun. She says it this way, the benefits of Bible study are directly related to how open, attentive, and obedient we are to what we read. And we can model ourselves after how Jesus used the scriptures. He used scripture to answer those who questioned him, to resist temptation, to find guidance for himself, to encourage himself, to bring comfort to other people, to explain his actions and ultimately to to face his own death. Those are all ways that we can make use of the Bible as a spiritual discipline. And, and let me talk for just a moment to those of you who are not now in the habit of regular Bible study. I know a lot of us are, but, but many of us aren't. Let me just give you a, a really easy way to start studying the Bible. So the Gospels, the four Gospels, that's the, the record of Jesus' earthly ministry and life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Just read through those on your own pace and ask yourself a couple of questions as you read. The first question is just as you read, what seems important to Jesus? What kind of things does he emphasize over and over again? Uh, The second question, what does Jesus ask of people? And then therefore, maybe what might he be asking of you? And third question is is just as you read, what is Jesus inviting me to be and to do? Those are great questions that uh, simple way to start reading the Bible and start applying it to your life. There's a third inward discipline related to Bible study. It's meditation, and meditation is not like uh, you know a yoga master might do, emptying your mind, focusing only on yourself. The the spiritual discipline of meditation involves you thinking deeply about God and about His Word. So let me just share a couple of simple ways you can do this. The first would be scripture memorization. That's uh, just take a passage of Scripture and you take the time and effort to commit it to memory. That's a great practice. Uh, it gives you time to, to meditate on what that scripture really means. Another way to engage in meditative thinking about God is, is journaling, just writing down your thoughts, writing down prayers. I, I got to tell you, I'm not very good at this. I don't journal very often. My daughter's really good. She loves to do it. It's a great way for her to really stop and spend time thinking about what God wants to do in her life. Uh, I don't journal very often, but I will say uh, not long ago I found an old journal that had some uh, thoughts and prayers of right when I very first was, was planning to come to Trinity. So that was fun to, to look back at what God was showing me at that time. So, so journaling can be a wonderful discipline, just a way to really meditate on what God wants to do in your life, the way he's working. So hopefully, you already start to see some value to these disciplines as they relate to self-control, to becoming less of your sinful self and more and more like Christ. There's one more inward discipline, and that's fasting. Fasting just means denying yourself something, usually food, uh, and using the time and energy you would have devoted to that thing to be able to uh, pray and, and, and spend time with the Lord. Uh, Fasting's tricky, though, because we've got a lot of faulty views about fasting. It's, 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 a way, it's not a way to manipulate God into doing what you want. You know, hey, God, I gave up Oreos for a week, so now you've got to answer my prayer. That's not, that's not how it works. Uh, it's a way to open ourselves up to God, to, to really confess to him that he is our nourishment, that he is our sustaining spirit, not our, our food, not ourselves, but only him. And uh, i got to tell you, I was out of town recently, and I met up with an old friend, and he wanted to meet for coffee. And so uh, he suggested this place that I'd never heard of before, so I, I looked it up. And, man, they had an ma- amazing menu of crepes, like uh, all kinds of different crepes. They had this one crepe that had uh, strawberry cheesecake inside of it, inside of a crepe. And they had another one that had like chorizo and pico de gallo in a crepe. And after looking at this menu, I was real excited to meet up with this guy, you know. And so we get there and he says, hey, uh, I'm fasting today, but you go ahead and order whatever you want. (laughs) And I was like, I I was pretty hesitant. I mean, I had my eye on like three or four crepes I was trying to decide between, washing it down with a nice handcrafted latte. Well, just his simple statement really gave me pause. And I realized... I don't need any of that, you know, and, and, and maybe i had let that menu take a little bit bigger place in my life than it should have, right, well, that's the idea of fasting, it's just all these inward disciplines, really, you, you're denying yourself food or time or whatever so that you can engage more fully with God, letting his spirit speak to you and and guide your life through his word, through prayer, through time together and and it's that simple. The, the second category of disciplines is outward, outward disciplines. And these are disciplines that have to do with how we're engaging the world. And there's a couple that I want us to talk about. The first one is simplicity, simplicity. And uh, this makes me think of the old song. You probably know the song, "'Tis a gift to be simple. "'Tis a gift to be free," Right? But we live in a a culture, in a society that's more cluttered and more complicated than it ever has been in the past. The discipline of simplicity forces us to carve out time and margin to be able to really love God and really love other people. I mean, let me ask you a question. Are you busy? I mean, not like right this minute, but in general, are you busy? Do you have too many things to manage? That's what the discipline of simplicity is really all about. You intentionally limit your activities and your choices. You know, maybe each kid only plays one sport or one activity. Or maybe you really don't need to have six different kinds of breakfast cereal in the house, right? Look around your house and say, what gadgets make me feel more free and which ones could I really do without? Or here's a great test. If someone admires something of yours, give it away. You find out pretty quickly how attached you are to your stuff. So there's another outward discipline, submission. And the idea of submission, it's intentionally going against the the way the world works. I mean, the world tells us to look out for number one all the time. And yet Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So with submission, we intentionally give up authority or power. It becomes a recognition of the role that God really has in our lives. The discipline of submission involves us consciously placing God in his proper place. We trust that God's ways, his instructions about us are really are for our good and for the best. And so it shows up in the way that we gladly forgive other people or we joyously serve other people or just love people well. Submission ultimately makes us free to be who we're meant to be. And one simple way that you can practice the discipline of submission is church membership. You willingly submit yourself to this body of believers. You may not like everything all the time that happens here, but it's a discipline of submission. It's a training for you and you make the conscious choice to be part of what God is doing here. Just like we sang this morning, all to Jesus I surrender. It's a discipline of submission. Finally, let's talk about the corporate disciplines. There are three that I want us to talk about. Confession, worship, and celebration. And these are disciplines that we engage in when we are together. In other words, it takes more than one person to do these. So let's talk first about confession. When it comes to confession, we tend to think of like a, like a Catholic model where you're pouring your heart out to some stranger, basically, and the deepest secrets out. But that's not really the right idea. I mean, confession ultimately is really just having a correct view of yourself and, and being willing to be honest with yourself and with others. And confession is a really fascinating discipline. Uh, There was a study done a couple of years ago, and they surveyed 5,000 Christians, a big big survey. And they were trying to figure out what kind of qualities were consistent in people who were growing in their faith. I mean, of of these people they surveyed, the ones who were growing in in Christ, what kind of things did they have in common? And what they found is that the people who confess their sins regularly were growing way more than anybody else. That that discipline of confession made Jesus' followers really, really grow. And maybe the most fascinating part is that of the people who regularly practiced confession, they were better in some ways that you might expect, but they were also better in some ways that you wouldn't expect. Like, for example, they were better at sharing their faith with other people. So two ideas that really don't seem like they go together were united because of this discipline of confession. It's a critical discipline. Just thinking accurately about yourself and being willing to say that. And, and let me give you a really simple place to start. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, we're gonna keep working through Titus. We're gonna look at a passage from chapter three, but it's a really good passage for confession. And take a look at what it says. It says, at one time, We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So see, this is a great passage for you to just pray back to God, to confess the truth of this passage in your own life. God, at one time, I was foolish. I was disobedient. I was deceived, right? And you can even commit it to memory, so then it's like two spiritual disciplines in one. How about that? Another corporate discipline is worship. It, it maybe seems a little odd that, that worship is a corporate discipline. We tend to think of worship as something private between us and God. I mean, even when we come in here and we sing, we tend to want to make it uh, just us and God. We happen to be in a room with a bunch of other people singing, you know, But that's not really how the Bible talks about worship and especially not about congregational singing. There's a couple of different places where the Bible talks about singing hymns and singing spiritual songs. And in both those places, it talks about singing to each other, not just singing to God, but encouraging each other through song. So it's a corporate discipline because it's not just for us, it's for each other. And when we sing, we sing to God, but we also sing for each other. And it's a discipline because we don't always feel it. I mean, we don't always walk in this room and immediately cast aside all the concerns of of our lives. So it's a discipline. Our feelings become a little bit secondary and worship becomes for us a discipline, a practice for us to consciously put God first, to glorify him with our voice and to encourage each other in the process. Ultimately, worship starts to reveal what we really value the most. One final discipline, and that's celebration. In some sense, we've saved the best for last, and maybe the most surprising of all. I mean, if spiritual disciplines are a means of training, then what kind of training do you really need to do to be able to celebrate, right? Well, if you've ever planned a wedding, you know that it takes a certain amount of concentrated effort. And and the discipline of celebration is really just taking time to recognize God's faithfulness and his provision. And even more than that, taking time to recognize the joy with which God loves us and cares for us. We enter into his joy as we just celebrate God's goodness to us. And so we worship just a little bit more fully. We we laugh a little bit more heartily. We take ourselves a little bit less seriously and maybe even eat a second crepe because God is generous and he likes to give us good things, right? We just celebrate the goodness of God. So these spiritual disciplines, some inward, some outward, and some corporate, they give us a variety of ways that we can train ourselves towards self-control, towards allowing Jesus to be in our life more and more and more. And they take conscious effort, but they also take grace. We, We consciously allow God's grace to work in us. So my challenge for us is to engage these spiritual disciplines. Just, just pick one from this list and make some plans to engage in it. Uh, maybe for you, you decide you're going to study the Gospels and you're going to ask yourself, what sort of things are really important to Jesus? Or maybe you make some plans for a time of fasting and, and really deepening your relationship with Christ that way. Maybe you go through your home and you simplify getting rid of things that are really ultimately barriers to you being more like Christ and being able to love people well without distractions. Maybe you celebrate, really celebrate God's goodness and his provision. Or maybe you just simply memorize and begin to take to heart the words of John the Baptist, that he must become greater and I must become less. I wanna give us all a moment to look over this list. You can look at your sermon notes there. Just think about these disciplines and identify just one that you might try. So I'm gonna give you a moment to do that and then we'll pray together. pray for us God we know that uh, even when we don't see ourselves clearly that you do you understand all that goes on in our hearts and our minds and uh, maybe that's a little scary for us but mostly it should be encouraging because you have such deep love for us you don't want to leave us where we are you want to help us take next steps and we know that ultimately those next steps mean we become more and more like you And we shed the things that are uh, barriers to that. And I pray that as we engage spiritual disciplines, as we engage this life of training, not only trying, but training, Lord, that you would encourage us with that deep love that you have, that you would show us the grace that you've already given us and that you want to give us even more and more of as we make choices, intentional choices to draw closer and closer to you. Through your son, Jesus, we pray, amen.